Hey, Unchained listeners. As you know, it's hard keeping up with the fast-paced world of crypto, so we've got just the thing for you. Subscribe to our free Unchained daily newsletter at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. You'll get the latest crypto news and original articles from our reporters, as well as summaries of other happenings and bullet points, plus our meme of the day, all curated and written by our amazing team. It's still your no-hype resource for all things crypto, just in newsletter form. Sign up at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Unconfirmed, the show that reveals how the marquee names in crypto are reacting to the news top headlines and gets the inside scoop on what they see on the horizon. I'm your host, Laura Shin, a journalist with over two decades of experience. I started covering crypto six years ago, and as a senior editor at Forbes, was the first mainstream media reporter to cover cryptocurrency full-time. This is the July 16th, 2021 episode of Unconfirmed. My book, The Cryptopians, Idealism, Greed, Lies, and the Making of the First Big Cryptocurrency Craze is available for pre-order on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Bookshop.org, or any of your favorite bookstores. Go to bit.ly slash cryptopians, bit.ly slash C-R-Y-P-T-O-P-I-A-N-S. The Oasis Network is a privacy-enabled blockchain platform for open finance and a new data economy. Start building your next idea on the Oasis Network. The Crypto.com app pays you up to 8.5% interest on your Bitcoin. Get $25 when you download the Crypto.com app with code LAURA. The link is in the description. Near is an open source platform that accelerates the development of decentralized applications, overcoming high fees and slow speeds with its fast, scalable, low-cost, and climate-neutral blockchain protocol. Learn more at near.org. Today's guest is Christine Parker, partner at Reed Smith. She focuses on regulatory and enforcement actions in the areas of commodities, derivatives, and cryptocurrencies. Welcome, Christine. Hey, thanks for having me. In recent weeks, Binance has become the subject of a number of warnings or announced investigations by regulators across several jurisdictions. So we're recording on Thursday, June 15th, and just this morning, there was yet another one where Italy's securities regulator, Consub, said Binance was unauthorized to offer services in the country. Can you give an overview of the various notices and actions against Binance in recent weeks? Sure. Um, they, they certainly are sailing into head, uh, some headwinds. And just to be clear, when we talk about Binance, I'm talking about Binance Binance, which is the sort of the, the uh, global uh, derivatives exchange that doesn't really sit in any particular jurisdiction. Um, and market participants, investors have been accessing it through their website for a number of years now. So just to, to distinguish that Binance from the sort of the Binances that sit in a number of different jurisdictions, including the U.S. So the larger Binance entity has absolutely attracted the um, attention of regulators um, in the U.S., in the U.K., Italy, and, and a number of other jurisdictions. And, you know, in particular in the U.S., we understand that the CFTC, the Department of Justice, um, and the IRS are all looking into their activities, presumably um, as a, a derivatives exchange that um, is being accessed by U.S. customers, but we obviously don't know the facts. Similarly, in the UK, um, the FCA 
restricted access as of June 30th to, to retail customers in the UK, likely along along the similar lines as, as to the investigations in the US. And, and the Italian authorities essentially said the same thing. You know, US, uh, Italian customers um, are not allowed to receive any you know, investment advice from Binance or to do any trading activities um, on the sort of larger global exchange. Yeah. And some of the others have been Japan's Financial Services Agency, which issued a second warning about Binance. The Ontario Securities Commission mm-hmm. said Binance failed to comply with local regulations. Thailand announced it filed a criminal complaint against Binance for unregistered operations. The Cayman Islands said that Binance Group and Binance Holding LTD were not authorized to operate there. And Singapore is um, announced that it's watching two finance entities and also Poland's financial regulator <laughs> cautioned right. against using exchange. So it's quite the list. And even in yeah. the U.S., Silvergate Bank also cut off withdrawals and deposits for Binance, but not for Binance U.S., the U.S. entity, as you mentioned earlier. What is the significance of all these actions and announcements? That's a great question. Um, I would have to say, I think the 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 Binance is the has certainly been on the um, radar of the global regulators for some period of time, but I certainly think the lack of jurisdiction of the entity itself has really hampered their efforts and ability to bring these actions um, against them. Typically, in, in the cross-border setting, what we see is the regulators will submit an MOU um, or work through an MOU with a foreign regulator in a foreign jurisdiction, and they'll submit their request for information or their subpoena or what have you. That's been a challenge with Binance because it's really kind of hard to pin down <laughs> what their actual jurisdiction is. And so um, I certainly think that has slowed things down, but um, I, I'm certain that Binance has been um, on the the radar of the regulators, certainly the U.S. regulators for a number of years now. What do you think is the likely outcome of all these reports about these? Because especially for the U.S. ones, it was, you know, not 100% clear whether or not, you know, they really were, they probably are, but, you know, it was just reported and uh, not generally confirmed. So what do you think is the likelihood that these reports are accurate? And if and when do you think these inquiries would result in an enforcement action? My guess is that the reports are very accurate. You know, I think we've got some precedents in the BitMEX case where we we heard reports of the CFTC and DOJ were investigating them, and that turned out to be correct. My guess is that probably in the next six to nine months, you'll see either a settlement with the CFTC, DOJ, um, and IRS, or not. Um, in which case they will likely um, seek to sort of enjoin their activities in the U.S. and, and uh, charge them for whatever violations of law, U.S. law that are applicable in you know the Southern District of New York um, or, or perhaps Washington, D.C., given the number of federal agencies that are involved in the case. And then what would the trajectory of Binance be after that? I think it's unclear when you take into account the uh, the activities of Binance US, you know, for them, the best resolution would be a, something very speedy, um, uh, some kind of settlement with Binance um, to allow them to move forward in the US with the US regulators with a somewhat clean slate. But, you know, there just may be a different of, of opinions. Binance may take the view, um, you know, we're engaging in activity in our jurisdiction, wherever that is, that's unregulated, and they may want to fight the case. They, they may not want to settle with the regulators and create some interesting precedent. 
But I do think that there will be tensions with Binance US. I mean, obviously separate entities that will make it, I think, much harder for Binance US to move forward in the US if Binance, the sort of parent company, fighting any charges bought by US regulators. Binance has been hiring a number of former regulators or compliance directors from other big fintechs to key roles and as advisors. For instance, former Financial Action Task Force Executive Secretary Mick McDonnell and former head of the Canadian delegation to the FATF, Jose Nadeau, were appointed as compliance and regulatory advisors. And also Max Bacchus, the former U.S. Senator from Montana and U.S. Ambassador to China, will also provide high-level guidance. What's your sense of how effective this strategy will be? Um, It is certainly worth pursuing. It's certainly worth trying. I think Binance... U.S. and Binance are sort of are, are certainly um, sailing into headwinds in the U.S. partially of their own making, but also just sort of the current state of play here in the U.S. with respect to crypto at Congress and with the regulators. So, you know, on one hand, I think it clearly shows um, and demonstrates that they want to turn the corner and sort of move forward with a with a new you know, attention to laws and statutes and regulations and compliance and the like, and really want to put their best foot forward you know, when dealing with regulators in the U.S. and with the global regulatory body. So that certainly makes sense. It should be effective. But I I think we're just in the U.S. in particular, we're really at sort of um, a challenging point in the the innovation of crypto. And, And by that, I mean, there's a lot of consternation on the Hill with crypto. There's certainly supporters. There are certainly members of Congress that are interested um, and have areas of interest. But you have vocal members of Congress who are not supporters of crypto. And, and the regulators in the U.S. hear that and see that. So, you know, Ma- Max Baucus can certainly be an effective advocate for finance and the crypto industry at large. But there are a lot of folks he's got to be talking to on the Hill um, and they've got to change their tune. And the regulators have to feel comfortable and convinced that the, you know, the Hill is now supportive of crypto. So they've got the right players. They're going to action them. I think the question is, you know, does that is that enough to surmount those in Congress who are not supporters of crypto? And, you know, that's not just Binance, but certainly, you know, they look to the Binance holding company as a a key example of, you know, what they don't like in the crypto space. So there are certainly challenges, but, you know, they've identified uh, key players that could really be effective. But it's it's an issue that's larger than just them. So in a moment, we'll dive more into how things might unfold for Binance. But first, a quick word from the sponsors who make this show possible. With over 10 million users, Crypto.com is the easiest place to buy and sell over 90 cryptocurrencies. Grow your crypto with Crypto.com Earn, which pays up to 8.5% interest on your Bitcoin and 14% interest on your stablecoins. When it's time to spend your crypto, nothing beats the Crypto.com Visa card which pays you up to 8% back instantly and gives you 100% rebates for your Netflix, Spotify, and Amazon Prime subscriptions. Download the Crypto.com app now and get $25 by using the code Laura. The link is in the description. Did you know nearly $338 million worth of NFTs were sent last year? And in 2021, that number is growing faster than ever. If you're looking to make your first NFT, Check out NIR's fast, scalable, low-cost, open-source platform. NIR is investing 80 million NIR tokens in community-led projects over the course of five years to power sustainable innovation through its ecosystem, 
with fundraising opportunities and support for DAOs and DAPs to engage fans and reach new audiences. Come learn why NEAR is the infrastructure for innovation at nea.org. Back to my conversation with Christine Parker. In the 2018 interview I did with Binance CEO Changpeng Zhao, who goes by the name CZ, I asked her about, about Binance's history of leaving jurisdictions when it looks like regulators might clamp down on Binance. And this was very early on when, you know, they would like leave China or Japan or, you know, mm-hmm. whatever these when these regulators kind of started making noise. And at that time, he responded to me, quote, what's wrong with going to a country where dot, 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 things are viewed favorably for you? Why do you have to be stuck in a country that is not good for this kind of stuff, meaning for crypto? This is like saying, if you don't like hot places, why don't you stick yourself in Florida in the sun all the time? So at this point in time, three years later, how well do you think that this modus operandi has served Binance? Well, on on one hand, they have incredible market share, incredible liquidity. You know, they're they're if not the biggest, they're they're one of the biggest out there. The biggest. Um, okay, so they are they are the biggest, and everybody wants to trade on them. They've got liquidity, they've got leverage, they've got the products that you know retail customers in the U.S. or pretty much anywhere else can't access. So, in one hand, you know this approach has allowed them to build up an incredible market presence. On the other hand. The regulators hate it. They don't think that it makes them, uh, you know, a credible partner in being sort of a responsible yet innovative crypto company that they want their retail investors to have access to. It is a, certainly um, a viable approach, but I think if you want to have continuing access to retail investors from the larger jurisdictions, that won't last forever. So, I, and I think we're seeing that now. I think we're sort of at that inflection point. That being said, there is not that much that uh, U.S. regulators can do to prevent U.S. customers from accessing Binance. All it really takes is a website and a VPN. Uh, You know, I think the the key tension will be with their payment partners and, you know, whether customers can continue to trade and withdraw their money or deposit funds. It's some, you know, I think it's helped them to build an incredible market, but I think in, in the long term, there are challenges to that approach and, and receive them right now. In a recent blog post, CZ cited a number of ways in which Binance be- plans to become more compliant. And one of the techniques he mentioned was that it would localize its operations, similar to how Binance US is an independent entity, compliant and regulated in the US. Do you think that will be an effective strategy or is that going to sap Binance of its strength in being able to source liquidity from around the globe? That's a great question. From a, from a regulatory and legal perspective, it is a great approach because every jurisdiction takes a different approach to what's essentially the regulation of derivatives. And there's some commonality, but it's a, it's a pretty local regime. And so the U.S. and the U.K. and Singapore all have different approaches, particularly with respect to retail customers. So on one hand, you know, that will hopefully put them in the good graces of the U.S. regulators. On the other hand, exactly to your point, they are going to lose that global liquidity because the cross-border, you know, regulations are really tough when it comes to retail participants trading on derivatives exchange. And there's just not that cross-border liquidity um, that you see right now with Binance. So, yes, they will, you know, it allow them to stand up in the U.S., but they're going to lose that global, you know, liquidity. Also in the U.S., we don't have any leveraged products that are available for retail customers anyway. So it's going to reduce their offerings, 
which will be less attractive to retail investors in the U.S. And you lose that global pool of liquidity. That being said, it puts you in the good graces of the regulator. So there's essentially some benefit to that. And do you think that there are any other good strategies Binance can use now to avoid penalties or enforcement actions? The ship might have sailed on that one. It, it might it might be too late for that. You know, the the it's it's really um, a strict liability test in the U.S. You know, if you offer derivatives and you're unregulated in the U.S. and you allow U.S. customers to access that that exchange, uh, you know, um, even if they pivot now, it's it's too late to sort of clean up the past bad acts. But that being said, again, they're standing up Binance US. It seems like their plan is to work with the regulators to stand up a, a new entity. And hopefully they will be successful in pushing the regulators to allow more regulated products that are more commercially attractive to retail customers, i.e. products that have leverage. We just heard the news that Shapeshift will be moving over to a decentralized exchange. And Binance, of course, has the Binance Smart Chain do you think that Binance could switch to a DEX and in that way avoid at least maybe if not enforcement actions due to past behavior, at least going forward? <laughs> they, they could, the, Binance could, could certainly take that approach. Again, I don't know if it absolves them of prior misconduct and their DEX would have to be in compliance with um, local regulation, whatever applies in the circumstances of, of how it turns itself into you know, a decentralized entity. Certainly um, a possibility for them going forward. I'm not sure that it, it solves their current issues. All right. And then earlier you mentioned BitMEX. Based off of what uh, has happened there with the CFTC and DOJ enforcement actions against that exchange, what would you say is the relevance there for Binance in terms of you know, what does this spell for them most likely? Uh, great question. I, I think, I mean, look, if they're, if they're going to take the same route, you know, you, you don't know until you don't know. But I think there are probably very similar allegations against Binance that there are against BitMEX in which they've, they're operating an offshore unregulated exchange or futures commission merchant FCM. They, they should be regulated and they are not conducting themselves as if they are regulated. That was another charge, a novel charge the CTC brought. And, you know, they failed to do anti-money laundering compliance under, you know, Bank Secrecy Act requirements as they would be required to do if they were regulated in the U.S. I mean, I think that's a pretty clear roadmap going forward. And so you think a- then it could result in criminal charges against perhaps CZ or other executives? I don't know. I was really surprised by the criminal charges against the founders of Bitmex. I mean, that that was really something. I would not want to see that as a tool necessarily going forward used by the regulators in this space. But, I, you know, I'm not the Southern District of New York, you know, U.S. attorney. It certainly, they, they have the precedence. Okay. All right. Well, I guess we will have to check back to see what comes of all this. But um, it's been such a pleasure talking to you. And thank you so much for coming on Unconfirmed. Thank you so much for having me. This was a great conversation. Don't forget, next up is the weekly news recap. Stick around for this week in crypto after this short break. Designed for the next generation of blockchain, the Oasis Network is the first privacy-enabled blockchain platform for open finance and a responsible data economy. Combined with its high throughput and secure architecture, the Oasis Network is able to power private, scalable DeFi, 
revolutionizing open finance and expanding it beyond traders and early adopters to a mass market. Its unique privacy features can not only redefine DeFi, but also create a new type of digital asset called tokenized data that can enable users to take control of the data they generate and earn rewards for staking it with applications, creating the first ever responsible data economy. Thanks for tuning in to this week's News Recap. First headline, U.S. Forms Anti-Ransomware Effort Will Pay for Tips with Crypto. To fight back against a wave of ransomware attacks that have crippled companies and industries, the White House is forming a cross-government task force to investigate the phenomenon whose ransom payments are made through cryptocurrency. The group will look for ways of, quote, halting ransom payments made through cryptocurrency platforms. It will also focus on prevention, such as helping potential targets bolster their internal systems. Additionally, the U.S. State Department's Rewards for Justice program is adding crypto as a payout option, and what may be a first for a federal agency. The reward is for up to $10 million for information on cybercriminals, quote, acting at the direction or under the control of a foreign government. Next headline, Fidelity Highs a Hiring Spree. According to Bloomberg, Fidelity Digital Assets is planning to hire up to 100 new employees in response to increasing institutional demand for cryptocurrency. The hiring spree would bolster the company's headcount by 70%, and allow Fidelity to develop new products and expand services strictly beyond Bitcoin. Tom Jessup, president of Fidelity Digital Assets, explicitly mentioned Ether, saying, quote, we've seen more interest in Ether, so we want to be ahead of that demand. Speaking of hiring, Decrypt's Jeff Roberts reports that Binance US's hiring of CEO Brian Brooks has caused tension with leadership at Circle and Coinbase. Brooks recently joined Binance US in April after a 10-month stint as the head of the Office of the Controller of the Currency. Before his time at the OCC, Brooks was Coinbase's top lawyer. Roberts reports that multiple sources say Brooks joined Binance US while negotiating for the role of president at Circle, a move that left the stablecoin provider blindsided. Coinbase was also rankled, as Roberts put it, as Brooks was still consulting with the exchange when he took over the reins at competitor Binance US. Next headline, Jack Dorsey announces new Bitcoin platform business. Square, along with Seller, Cash App, and Title, is creating a new platform business with Bitcoin as its primary focus, tweeted Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey. Like Square's Bitcoin hardware wallet, the new company will be completely open-sourced with the goal of, quote, making it easy to create non-custodial, permissionless, and decentralized financial services. As of now, the company lacks a name. Next headline. DeFi Education Fund sells half its uni. The DeFi Education Fund announced the sale of half of the 1 million uni tokens that it received from Uniswap's treasury roughly two weeks ago. The deal made waves as it contradicted DEF's initial proposal, which outlined a plan for the tokens to be allocated over a four to five year period to not dilute uni's price. Stemming from a Harvard Law blockchain and fintech initiative proposal, Uniswap DAO members approved the DeFi Education Fund on June 29th. From there, 1 million uni tokens were released from Uniswap's treasury to fund and create the DeFi Education Fund, a 501c4 nonprofit intended to provide grants to further support existing and new political groups engaged in crypto policy and or lobbying. DeFi Watch's Chris Black was a vocal critic of DEF's $10 million uni sale. He tweeted, DeFi Education Fund is dumping 500k uni all at once for $10.2 million in USDC. 
Why in the hell do they need $10.2 million all at once? Why not just sell uni as they need it? Amazing that uni governance has absolutely no say in what is happening here. In response to the blowback, DEF posted on Medium explaining its uni USDC sale as a diversification play, adding that an annual budget would be published in the next 90 days. The fund also updated its Twitter profile picture after initially leaving it blank, which many users found quite fitting. Next headline. U.S. regulators crave crypto clarity and stricter regulation. On Wednesday, Fed Chair Jerome Powell told Congress that stablecoins should face stricter regulation. Powell said, quote, if they are going to be a significant part of the payments universe, which we don't think crypto assets will be, but stablecoins might be, then we need an appropriate regulatory framework, which frankly, we don't have. On Thursday, Congressman Tom Emmer reintroduced the Securities Clarity Act, a bill that would provide a framework for the SEC to determine which digital assets are securities, saying that regulatory uncertainty has hindered the U.S.'s ability to compete in the crypto industry. Next headline. Shapeshift is decentralizing. Crypto exchange Shapeshift is shutting down formal operations and has begun fully decentralizing. It is open sourcing everything and has commenced the largest airdrop in history, distributing $98 million worth of Fox tokens to over a million customers and DeFi community members. All 900,000 Shapeshift users will be eligible for the airdrop, along with 120,000 addresses associated with popular DeFi tokens. According to a blog post by CEO Eric Voorhees, the decentralization process started last fall when Shapeshift began replacing its trading systems with popular DEXs. Through integrations with 0x and ThorChain, Shapeshift was able to fully offer decentralized trading at scale for ERC20 and Bitcoin transactions. Once Shapeshift's trading systems were replaced by DeFi integrations, Voorhees saw no reason for the centralized aspect of Shapeshift's existence to continue. He wrote, quote, Without integration of these DEXs, Shapeshift no longer provided trading services, and yet users didn't lose their ability to trade. This was better for our users, better for us, and appropriately in line with the ethos of crypto. Privacy, immutability, and self-sovereignty in finance. Next headline. Revolut's fundraising round is the third largest in crypto history. Revolut, a London-based neobank with a crypto offering, has raised $800 million in a round led by SoftBank and Tiger Global, according to a Sky News report. The deal values the company at roughly $33 billion, six times greater than its February 2020 round at $5.5 billion, making it the most valuable company in British fintech history. Revolut recently allowed customers to withdraw crypto from its platform. Additionally, according to Business Insider, SoRare, a soccer-based digital collectibles game, aka NFT game, is expected to announce a $532 million raise at a valuation of $3.8 billion, which would be the largest raise in the history of France's tech sector. Based on data from Dove Mountain, the raise from Revolut, and presumably so rare, would rank as the third and fourth largest funding rounds in crypto history, respectively. Next headline. Bullish's $9 billion valuation comes with no product. The cryptocurrency exchange Bullish is set to go public through a merger with a special purpose acquisition company, Far Peak Acquisition, headed by former New York Stock Exchange president Tom Farley. According to the press release, Bullish expects the transaction to close by the end of 2021. The deal values the crypto exchange at $9 billion, roughly one-fifth of Coinbase's market cap of $47 billion. Farley will take over as chief executive officer, leading a company backed by Peter Thiel, Alan Howard, Richard Lee, Galaxy Digital, and Nomura. The exchange has yet to release an actual product, though it plans to offer a pilot in the coming weeks on which participants will be able to test the platform before Bullish's public launch. 
Next headline. Dogecoin founder says crypto has the worst parts of today's capitalist system. Jackson Palmer, Dogecoin's co-founder who left the project in 2015, published an eviscerating tweets thread on why he refuses to return to cryptocurrency. Two quotes stand out. After years of studying it, I believe that cryptocurrency is an inherently right-wing, hyper-capitalistic technology built primarily to amplify the wealth of its proponents through a combination of tax avoidance, diminished regulatory oversight, and artificially enforced scarcity. Second, financial exploitation undoubtedly existed before cryptocurrency, but cryptocurrency is almost purpose-built to make the funnel of profiteering more efficient for those at the top and less safeguarded for the vulnerable. Palmer ended the thread saying that he will no longer publicly discuss cryptocurrency. Okay, time for fun bits. Cardano's smart contract race heats up. Polymarket, a dApp that allows users to bet on certain beliefs on Ethereum's blockchain, recently opened up a new market, asking if Cardano will support contracts on its mainnet by October 1st, 2021. Cardano, the Charles Hoskinson-led blockchain network, has not yet launched smart contract capability, even though Cardano has been around since 2017. ADA, the native token of Cardano, is the fifth largest token by market capitalization. On Twitter, Hoskinson, an Ethereum co-founder, sarcastically commented on the market saying, you people really make me laugh. Polymarket, however, shot back saying, you know what's really funny, Charles? Cardano's still not having smart contracts. We'll bet you $50,000 on Polymarket that you won't have live smart contracts for Cardano slash ADA by October 1st. Time to put your money where your mouth is, Charles. Winnings go to charity of choice. As of press time, it appears Polymarket users give Cardano smart contracts a 39% chance of being live by October 1st. Second fun bits. Damien Hirst's NFT challenge will test the value of NFTs over physical art. British artist Damien Hirst kicked off what he called an art-based social experiment, launching what he calls The Currency, a series of 10,000 of his so-called spot paintings on A4 paper, along with corresponding NFTs. The kicker? In a year, each buyer must choose whether to swap their digital version for a physical artwork. NFTs that are not traded in will have their physical counterpart destroyed and vice versa. Guess we will find out which is more desirable, the physical editions or the NFTs. Okay, thanks for tuning in. To learn more about Christine, Reed Smith, and Binance, be sure to check out the links in the show notes. Heads up, everyone. The Unchained newsletter has switched from a weekly news recap to a daily email. Each morning, you'll get four to five quick headlines, a crypto meme or two, and a few recommended reads. Head to unchainedpodcast.com and the sign up for the newsletter is right on the homepage. Unconfirmed is produced by me, Laura Shin, with all from Anthony Yoon, Mark Murdoch, and Daniel Ness. Thanks for listening.